The information contained in this podcast is an expression of opinion and does not constitute investment advice. This is the Gold Money Foundation podcast with Dominic Frisbee, keeping you up to date with expert opinion on precious metals and the markets. Hello and welcome to the Gold Money Foundation podcast hosted in association with Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. Now it's uh, early December, I'm sitting at the Mines and Money Conference in London and opposite me uh, is a gentleman called Jamul Jadamba. Now Jamul is from Mongolia and I heard him do a presentation uh, about a company that uh, is he's involved in that's operating in Mongolia just yesterday. And Jamul, you began that presentation with an amazing amazing uh, fact, or what I thought was an amazing fact, which is that the population of China is 1.4 billion, and the population of Mongolia, which isn't that much smaller, is just 2.8 million. I, I find that incredible. So we're going to talk about Mongolia. So, so why don't we start with, with, with that statistic and, and what it might mean? Well, it means that there is a tremendous difference in scale in the size of the economy um, in the ability of Mongolia to leverage China's growth via becoming the supplier of choice for various commodities that China needs to grow. Since we have a small population in Mongolia, we are not going to go through the typical route of growth for a lot of emerging um, markets, which is through manufacturing. We simply don't have a labor force for that, and we cannot really compete with other countries such as Vietnam or Bangladesh on manufacturing, given the fact that we're a landlocked country as well. Our strength is natural resources. Our strength is the fact that we have 1.6 million square kilometers of land, which happens to be some of the most geologically prolific pieces of earth. So Mongolia should utilize its natural resources for growth and should emerge as a key commodity player in the region. Okay, of, of all the, the various commodities that uh, Mongolia has, I mean, I've heard of copper, I've, I've heard of gold mines in Mongolia, coal. Um, wh which resource are you currently most excited about? Well, I'm really uh, quite excited about uh, coal. Uh, exports of coal from our country went from virtually nil a decade ago to about 15 uh, million or so tons per year, expected to go about 40 million tons in the short while and I would not be surprised if in the next 10-15 years Mongolia goes over 100 million tons of coal exports mainly to China but perhaps to some other destinations such as Korea, Japan, India, etc. I'm also quite excited about copper. I think the fundamentals are very sound and particularly given the turmoil in the global financial markets, precious metals are obviously uh, quite an interesting play. The have you seen? Uh, I mean, ha, let me ask if, if you don't mind me asking, how, how old are you, Jamal? I'm 35 years old. 35. So, in the course of the last 10, I mean, you, you, you're obviously from Mongolia, but you've spent many years outside there uh, in North America. Um, have you seen people become millionaires in Mongolia overnight in the last 10 years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the most dramatic example of this would be a company called. Um, um, MCS, which is one of the probably the biggest conglomerate in Mongolia and it's controlled by two brothers. Uh, they floated uh, a coking coal project 
uh, that they renamed Mongolia Mining Corporation, they floated on Hong Kong. And as a result of that uh, floating, these gentlemen became uh, probably worth uh, three, four billion dollars uh, in that worth. And um, compare that to the overall size of the GDP, which stands at about six billion. So literally, you will have guys walking down the streets of Ulaanbaatar that are worth something comparable to the national GDP. So obviously, you know, this is a very interesting junction in our history. We're just going through an inflection point, um, and a lot of wealth is being created, uh, as it typically tends to be. Uh, initially, at least, the minority benefits from it, but. Um, uh, I have all hopes that um, you know the, the development of the country will be able to lift the country as a whole. We certainly don't have a lot of people to take care of. Um, I suppose it's a, a good question to ask you from here is, is the political situation in, in Mongolia. Why don't you give us a quick potted history of Mongolian politics and, and where you are now? So Mongolia is quite unique in the region. Um, it is it's quite unique in the world in the sense it is the only nomadic culture in the world that is, retains its own sovereign nation where it is not just the predominant majority but basically the entire population uh, and that has not culturally assimilated to you know sedentary cultures around. I mean we have had other nomadic people of Inner Asia that you know immigrated like the Turks to Anatolia or other places in Central Asia which kind of lost touch with the, those roots. So Mongolia is culturally very unique in that sense. And people are still nomadic. Absolutely. We have uh, probably some, somewhere around 40% of the country uh, living the traditional lifestyle. Traveling by horse and going from place to place? Well, these days it's uh, horse, but also motorcycle and trucks. These days nomads have satellite dishes and cell phones, but uh, nomads nevertheless. And I find it amazing that people are nomadic by car. I mean, that's, that's, it's a wonderful image. And, and does this not bring up all sorts of issues with property rights and who owns what and title and so on? Right. Um, the current state of legislation in Mongolia, only urban land can be privatized. Land, rural land can be leased for agricultural reasons, for example, wheat harvesting. Um, but otherwise, land belongs to the people, quote unquote. So. It's a birthright of a Mongolian to pitch his gear, or what's known as a yurt in the West, pretty much anywhere in the country. And uh, I mean, what about staking property for mining? How, how, does, how do you go about that? So uh, a company would acquire uh, initially an exploration license that gives you rights to explore for all minerals in the land. It does not necessarily give you ownership of the surface. Once you are completed with the exploration program, you can petition for a mining license, which gives you the permission to mine uh, the whatever deposit you happen to have. Uh, in terms of surface rights, um, the population density of Mongolia, I think it is the scarcely, scarcely, most scarcely populated country in the world, uh, at about one person per kilometer square or something. Maybe like Greenland or somewhere like that is, is more scarcy, but I, I, I take your point. Right. It, it is very sparsely populated. Uh, the areas where you have the mining exploration and mining activity uh, tend to be in the south, in the uh, desert or semi-desert regions of Gobi, so they are even less populated. So typically, um, for a mining operation, 
we do not typically have big villages or population centers, so it's not currently much of an issue. And obviously, people are looking for employment. So a mine coming in or a mining com company coming in and offering jobs is uh, at least currently viewed as a positive thing. Okay, I mean, I suppose, is it potential that somebody could build a mine and then a bunch of nomads could come and pitch their tents? And I mean, could that, does that have the potential to become an issue or is it just not realistic? Um, if you refer to what I said earlier, it, it is a country that is homogenous in nature. You have those issues in Canada with native populations in South America, etc. We are the native population. So it is not as if uh, some outsider ethnic or religious or outsider group coming in and uh, developing these, these assets. No, these assets, at the end of the day, via the royalty and tax system benefit all Mongolians. Uh, in that sense. So people are very much supportive of the mining industry. Of course, there are environmental concerns, and of course, there may be issues where, you know, certain territories are ancestral pasture lands for certain groups of people. But um, overall, um, we are dramatically shifting away from the pastoral nomadic way of life into more modern, uh, albeit natural resource-based, but industrial economy. So. Um, I would not. I would not say that it's a huge issue unless it happens to be in environmentally sensitive areas. Okay. Now I imagine that one of the big issues facing a resource company who's trying to operate in Mongolia is less trying to discover a resource and more trying to build some kind of infrastructure around the resource that you've discovered. Is, is that right? Um, no, I would say both because um, historic exploration work that was done in Mongolia was very good, broad-based mapping, uh, but very few deposits, in fact, were discovered. Um, if you look at, you know, the biggest by value deposit in Mongolia was only discovered, you know, in 2002, 2003, Oyutolgo. Um, that, that's the Ivanhoe mine. That's absolutely right. Um, you know, each year, you know, world-class deposits are being found. So it's very much a place where we are minerally rich, but we don't have the 100, 150 years of intensive state-of-the-art exploration that Canada has or Australia has. We have not had that yet. We only have less than 10 years of modern exploration being applied to 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 Mongolia, so uh, in that sense, no, there are many more world-class deposits to be found. I would hope. Uh, typically, these deposits come in clusters. So, for example, in the south, would not be surprised to see a number of big copper deposits, or again in the Gobi, would not be surprised to find a number of substantial coking and thermal coal deposits, etc. So that's that's the issue number one. I think there are many more discoveries to be made. Second issue about infrastructure, uh, the infrastructure situation is indeed uh, quite poor. Um, there is only a single rail line that cuts from north to south through Mongolia. It's called the Trans-Mongolian Rail Line. And there is another rail line that goes from northeast into the town of Chor, which was built uh, essentially for uranium exports back in the days. Um, however, the Parliament of Mongolia approved a scheme for development of the railway system of Mongolia. So the political decision has been made. Uh, I believe preliminary work on the extension of the rail line that cuts through south of Mongolia 
through the east to northeast to connect the Chorbosan to Russian uh, Trans-Siberian railways uh, has already commenced. Um, so it's all happening. To connect all the mineral-rich regions of Mongolia, you probably need, I would say, maybe 7,000 kilometers of rail. And fortunately, in many parts of the Mongolia where exploration work is being conducted, namely south and uh, the east, um, it's very friendly topography. So um, you, you probably could uh, build rail at a pretty fast rate. And uh, is there a huge land grab going on at the moment? Is everyone trying to stake land and, and uh, secure their bit of the pie? There are about 1,500 mineral licenses that are in the hands of private companies and individuals in Mongolia. Majority of those licenses are in Mongolian hands. Currently, there is a presidential moratorium on issuance of new licenses because they're trying to clean up some of the uh, rules and regulations and perhaps an amendment to the minerals law to clean it up because, you know, how these licenses were issued, etc. I mean, certainly things could have uh, been handled better in the 90s. So they're trying to clean that up now. So as it stands right now, um, you cannot stake new properties at the moment. I would imagine the moratorium will expire shortly and then you will be able to go through a competitive process to acquire new mining tenements. Okay, and your democracy is how old? Our democracy is um, at this point 20 years old. We had five um, parliamentary elections. We have a, a kind of a mixed parliamentary system. Uh, we basically have two competing political parties. Um, Was it communist until then? It was a communist country until the collapse of the whole um, socialist system in the East. Um, we were actually the second the oldest communist country in the world after Russia. But, um, but we've, we've had a peaceful transition to democracy and we're unique in being the only robust, real Western-style democracy in the region. Bureaucratic problems? Oh, yes. I mean, there is certainly a legacy of the old Soviet-type system. I think, um, you know, uh, civil services and government is quite big in Mongolia. It's, um, um, there are corruption concerns, etc., as you would find in a lot of emerging markets. So I would not say it's, uh, it's perfect, but um, doing business in Mongolia is not very difficult, I would say. You can incorporate a business in a matter of days. Um, there are very few uh, restrictions at all. You can bring in capital and take out capital at will. Um, and the currency, is the currency stable? The currency is Tugrik. Uh, it's strengthening against the dollar, so that brings in another component to investing in Mongolia. It was the second best performing currency after the Aussie dollar last year. So it actually compounds your returns on Mongolian investments. I have, um, I have a, a hedge fund manager who emails me from time to time who was looking at buying uh, Mongolian government bonds. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a sound investment? I think so. I mean, it's certainly a bet uh, on the currency. Uh, right he's getting a higher rate of interest than US government bonds and the currency was appreciating against the dollar, so he was winning both ways. Absolutely. And right now the government... Uh, uh, is yet to receive uh, revenues from these large-scale uh, mining projects. So you certainly would get a higher yield than you would once the government has flushed the cash uh, years down the line. So I would say um, 
it is it is a good investment for uh, people who understand emerging markets and understand the associated risks. Well, Jamul, I mean, what a fantastic interview you've just given. It's been so interesting hearing uh, hearing you talk about your country. And, and I guess if I want to start a business in uh, Mongolia, Jamul Jadamba is the is the person I should contact. So, if there's a, a way that people want to get in touch with you, do you have a website? Do you have a company that you'd like to plug? Yes, absolutely. Um, the most advanced of our projects is a Canadian company called Mogul Ventures Corp. Uh, it should be listed and trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange, on the Venture Exchange, uh, hopefully sometime in the first quarter of 2012. Uh, this is a coal exploration and development company with a sizable project um, in southern Mongolia, close to infrastructure. Um, you can reach me at my email, um, uh, JJ, uh, those are my initials, at AU. M-O-G-U-L dot com. Great stuff. Well, Jamul Jadamba, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Subscribe to the Gold Money newsletter at www.goldmoney.com to receive email updates on new articles, videos, and iTunes podcasts from our Gold Research section. Gold Research.